turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening. I promise to do my very best to put together some content for you based on stock market, based on investing, based on trying to haul your concept of retirement a little bit closer to you. So, yesterday, the market surged at the open, surged. Uh, only to lose all the gains. Something happened. What happened yesterday? It was like one of those 400-point days where we were up 250, then we are down 150. Like, that's a 400-point day swing. Like, whoa. Those are not common. Those are not normal, to say the least. And today we opened lower. Wah, wah, wah. Um, yesterday, good news came out. The Bolts report in the middle of the afternoon um, where basically business looks like it's getting ready to expand again in the United States. Um, significant concern out there on earnings season. That's going to, you know, kind of reset where we are on how we view Wall Street. So Alcoa came out with pretty good numbers yesterday. And you know, maybe we're looking at it going, okay, we want a little bit more. So concerns evident today with a disappointing report from J.P. Morgan Chase. Trading revenue was below expectations. Overall revenue was down 2.8%. Earnings per share were below expectations. Company stock is off 2% on that news. Wells Fargo caused a little bit of a stir reported earnings equal to the median forecast of about two a share. Share is slightly lower though on the news. I like Wells Fargo and Chase, P. Morgan Chase. I think they're both fine companies that if you own for 30, 40 years, you'll be pleased. Um, European stock market's down roughly 1%. Well, before we get to Europe, because let's go to Asia, because that's how the world turns. North America, Asia, Europe, North America. So Asia was lower, partly due to the sell-off in the United States, but it also wasn't helped by the fact that the World Bank lowered its 2015 global GDP forecast to 3% from 3.4%. European stock markets down, 
Uh, Eurozone November industrial production grows two-tenths of 1%. Like, a little bit better than spit, but not much. Isn't spit an awesome concept? Do we not lose ourselves in how awesome words can be at times? Um, noteworthy, international markets. Uh, pretty sharp sell-off in copper prices to a five-and-a-half-year low. Copper prices are incredibly sensitive to industrial demand. Um, copper is an industrial metal. If I were in love with your sister or you, I would buy you a copper heart. I love copper. I don't really like gold. Gold to me is not fun. It's not sexy. As far as industrial metals go, copper is sexy. Gold just kind of lays around and eats bonbons all day. That <laughs> never gets old. So retail sales were worse than expected, dropping nine tenths of a percent in December. Boo! Uh, some people have a theory that Americans just don't have money. And some people have a theory that, you know, we're living in a world of discount. So if 40% is the new 20% and people just, you know, live with that expectation, therefore sales are going to be, you know, tougher comps because of the discount world that we continue to live in and expect. It's almost as if a retailer has to mark up the price double so they can do that 50% off, right? Their overall declines, partly due to lower oil prices in retail sales. Retail sales do tie in gasoline, for instance. Um, not a good report. And given concerns about global growth, the market was sensitive to the data, and one of the reasons there's a big sell-off. But get this. This almost makes me, how shall we say, excited? The MBA Mortgage Index Mortgage Bankers Association Mortgage Index surged a startling 49%, even after 11% gain the week before. Interest rates going lower have sparked a surge in refinancings. Good. The market reaction reflects an underlying nervousness. It certainly isn't panic, but the fragile conditions may continue through the early part of the earnings season. There will be a flood of reports next week, worthy of note. So, so when I hear that... That brings me to, let's take a look at the 10-year Treasury today, and it's at 1.83. That's pretty remarkable. So I think I refinanced my mortgage back when mortgage rates or 10-year Treasuries were like 2.1, 2.2. So I'm going to take a look at 30-year and 15-year mortgage rates, just make sure, or just to check it out, so to speak, um, to see if there's a significant drop. I mean, my mortgage is 3.8%, so... It would have to be the drop to like 3.4 for me to even consider. Uh, but you get the idea there. I think. I think. Me thinks you get the idea. Um, so back to J.P. Morgan. They had a pretty big mess. And that's painting, you know, let's be careful. The fourth quarter included $990 million in legal costs. For the year, J.P. Morgan brought in revenue of $97.9 billion, down from 2013's $99.7 billion. Profit declined 6.6%. These numbers reflect a very strange market of 2014. In summer, traders were begging for some volatility. They got more than they asked for at the end of the year. So fixed income trading was down a whopping 23%. The biggest problem in the investment bank, aside from trading, was in equity underwriting, down 25% year over year. Jamie Dimon, who is pretty controversial, 
Um, he's one of those people you can make a movie about, you know, a lifetime movie. Uh, 2014 was a record year for the firm for net income and earnings per share, he said. We delivered on our commitments, including business simplification, controls, expense discipline, and meeting our capital targets while maintaining excellent customer satisfaction rankings. I'm proud of the great company, its exceptional management team, and employees. Meh. Doesn't sound like it was that great of a quarter, though, huh? 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Uh, Gasoline prices, if you go back to 1986 to see a really good collapse similar to this collapse in oil, it took a couple years to figure itself out. So a lot of people aren't expecting an instant, you know, back to $70 a barrel. The Energy Department's predicted an average U.S. household will save $750 this year on gasoline with what they spent versus 2014. Wow, we're in the year 2015. In the year 2015. Um, Let's see. For the first estimates for 2016, the Energy Department is forecasting retail price of gasoline at 272. It's currently at 214. So they are predicting that by year end or into next year, gasoline prices will be up about 60, 70 cents from where they are now. Still pretty low. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. Big event coming up, Wealth Management and Retirement Planning, January 15th. That's tomorrow at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. Educational workshop designed for people age 40 plus who are looking for ways to generate secure, steady income in retirement. We'll talk about, you know, estate planning tips and creating tax-efficient distribution plans, low-interest-rate bond alternatives. I'll be there talking stocks that I own and why I like them. You can find out more about me and the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. day to you. I'm Rob Black. One of the headlines that I'm seeing out there today is national gas prices soon fall below $2. Whoa. Let's talk about that. Think about that for uno momentaro. Um, I remember when I was young seeing gas prices at $2. I remember when I was really, really young as a kid seeing gas prices at $2. So in the world of petroleum, gas hasn't actually been victim of inflation for quite a while. Yes, when it goes back to $4, we'll go, but it seems to swing in the United States between $2 and $4, maybe on a a big multi-year cycle, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. So that's the lesson on inflation. Now, can we say the same thing about housing prices? Can we say the same thing about wages? Can we say the same thing about... You know, the cost of a television or the, you know, 
for me, a cost of a television, all things considered, it, it falls in price on a pretty regular. How about healthcare costs? Like you see things where some things are inflating, lawyers' fees. Um, <clears throat> but overall, the competition is something that brings inflation in check and brings it down. For instance, Sprint has a much better deal on phone plans than AT&T and Verizon. Not quite as good of quality, but a much better deal. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you today? Excellent. Let's talk a little, uh, we do wealth preservation retirement planning seminars. You can find out more about one coming up shortly at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. One of the things you have to worry about in retirement is asset allocation. There's a phrase that I use that asset allocation is more important than timing the market. And people, you know, continually want to time the market. But asset allocation in retirement falls in your court. Yeah, asset allocation, but it's also asset location. So the different asset classes that are out there, which types of accounts do you hold them in between your your cash accounts, your taxable accounts, your IRA, your Roth? Um, where do you hold them? I mean, the first thing that you got to look at is, is uh, an overall strategy that you need in retirement, which is how are you going to draw and where, what accounts are you going to draw from first? A lot of people make the mistakes of drawing from just their cash first and then holding off on their IRAs, and then they find themselves at age 70 and a half in a really high tax bracket. So um, you take the approach that, as I've talked about on your show many times, you need three years of portfolio draws in cash, right? That's typically in your taxable account. You then need at least about 20% of your portfolio in, in most retirees' cases, if they're kind of the general retired person scenario. You want about 20% of your portfolio in dividend-paying stocks, but they are stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend on an annual basis, so you have constant income regardless of what the share price is doing and an income that increases even when the markets are down. Um, then you need about 20 to 30% of your portfolio in uh, – what you try to do is, is it's really good, and, and a lot of financial advisors, a lot of publications agree that you, you should try to get about 20 to 30% of your retired, retiree income needs, Rob, from a form of guaranteed lifetime income. For example, Social Security is a form of guaranteed lifetime income. A pension you can't outlive is a form of guaranteed lifetime income. Well, people can also do this on their own and create that with um, certain products out there. And I hate loaded variable annuities. Why? But there are so because the fees are so high. Okay. They, they have these guarantees, but the internal fees are like three and a half percent. You you buy them, you can't get out of them for seven to ten years. Somebody gets a like huge commission involved, and they don't help you manage it. There are some no load versions of this where you can be in a balanced portfolio. And no matter what the market does, you'll get 5 to 6% income for life. It's not a principal guarantee. It's a lifetime guaranteed income. And you need that longevity guarantee in your life. So what if you do outlive that 86 number that is the average age of death now? So you want to get 20 to 30% of that. So what I typically do is have about 20% of a portfolio in a, a, a no-load product. So Because if, if bonds ever go to a point where they're attractive again, I might get out of those products. I might not recommend them anymore. But right now, they're an okay bond alternative. Um, and then the rest of the portfolio is a very conservative um, ETF, no-load fund portfolio that you'd want to have. And so in your taxable accounts, you would want more of the large-cap, mid-cap, and tax-free bonds. And then in your retirement accounts, that's where you would have more of the, the, the types of dividend-paying stuff that don't qualify for that 15% dividend, dividend tax. Um, so some you know things like... National Limit Partnerships and Oil and Gas deals, um, 
other stocks that don't qualify for that 15% dividend tax. So you need that overall kind of pieces of your overall portfolio. You need the cash that you're going to draw from. You need the pieces of your portfolio that are going to feed it. But also pay attention to where you hold the asset classes. If it's an income-producing vehicle and you don't need the income yet, hold it in either an IRA or a Roth. If it's more of a long-term hold in a growth asset, that's, that's going to be in your taxable accounts. Okay, so asset allocation, critically important in retirement, different than when you're younger. Um, you got to know your tax brackets. You do. And it's really important to know your marginal bracket. That's what, What's the next dollar that I receive? What's it going to be taxed at? So when you retire, things are changing. You no longer have a paycheck. So the first thing you do is you look at your overall situation and say, before I draw from anything, what are what's my automatic tax bracket going to be? I'm going to have my Social Security income. I'm going to have dividends and interest from my stock and bond portfolio and my taxable accounts. And the first place you look to draw is actually your IRA. A lot of people hold off for as long as they can. But a married couple filing jointly can have about 70000 of income from IRAs and Social Security and pension, plus an amount of income equal to their itemized deductions, and still be at a 15% bracket, which... You know, right now, at this point in time when we're talking, is the same as the capital gains rate. Right. It could be lower going forward, depending on what happens to our tax code. So it's it kind of complicated in retirement. You know, it, it is, it's complicated on the initial setup. But once you get a detailed income plan going, then it kind of gets automated. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. Good stuff to know. You can learn more about this kind of topic and more coming to a Wealth Preservation Retirement Seminar. Uh, it's something Chad and I do together. It's great to meet people faces and names together, and it all starts to kind of click for people. You can about upcoming seminars at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find more about Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner with New Focus Financial at chadburton.com. That's B-U-R-T-O-N or newfocusfinancial.com. So retail sales a little bit weaker today. J.P. Morgan missing earnings expectations, painting a negative picture on Wall Street to start. I'm okay with it. Um, you know, I know that a lot of people don't like volatility. I, I don't mind it. So the SP 500 is down 12,159. The Nasdaq down 15. If the market were to go 10% lower, I'd be okay. I wouldn't feel happy because I know that a lot of people would be confused and hurt, but I'd be okay with it. <coughs> the gold. Uh, it's trading price level of about 1237 now. 10-year treasury sits at 1.83. Great time to consider refinancing. If you haven't refinanced in the last five years, consider it. Just run this scenario. See how much you could save in a monthly payment. Know that it'll take a year or two years to you know, catch up to the, the cost of refinancing, but usually it's pretty worth it if you have a long-term mortgage to refinance at times like this. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Killers take us to break. Don't forget, i got an event coming up tomorrow night. You can learn more about it in Palo Alto at robblack.com.
The new issue of Charlie Hebdo is selling for insane prices on eBay. The first issue of the satirical magazine since the deadly shooting in its Paris office is released today. People around the world are lining up to buy the special memorial edition. Newsstands in Paris sold out of the magazine in just two hours. Sure enough, issues have been showing up on eBay going for 310 pounds. 686 pounds. It's classic capitalism. Let's take advantage of a tragedy and cash in on it. Uh, With that said, there's no more meat to that story and I'll shut up, but The power of eBay. And again, the power of capitalism. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Take a look at some of the market stories today. Copper prices are plunging. Uh, under 250 per pound for the first time in about five years. There's speculation that cheaper energy costs will encourage mining companies to increase production. Commodities overall have been knocked to a 12-year low. Decline in oil and copper prices have helped most commodities index to a 12-year low, with global growth expected to slow even further. Uh, The bond king, a guy named Jeff Gunlock of DoubleLine, he gave a presentation outlining his view on the world for investing. One of the things he expects is volatility to return to the markets in a big way this year, and he also doesn't think oil has hit a bottom. He thinks that in 2014, one of the, he's one of the few strategists who anticipated bond yields on the 10-year Treasury to fall even further. GoPro got crushed yesterday. Turns out Apple's got some patents that they bought from Kodak um, that are very, very much so in line with making a camera that goes on helmets and surfboards and would be aerodynamically superior to GoPros. Um, that kind of rumor, that kind of speculation is overblown. Um, Apple files patents all the time. Yesterday they did one with a a hand swipe gesture technology, similar to that that was used in Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Um, Doesn't mean we're going to a hand swipe iPhone or a hand swipe iPad anytime soon. Um, Plunging oil prices are driving inventories to near maximum levels. Storage trends also imply further price falls, with stocks possibly approaching 80% of capacity by the coming spring season. The last time the U.S. built inventories in December was in the middle of the financial crisis of 2008. So it's pretty crazy what's going on with oil. Um, And it's not all good. If you want peace in the world, you want stable oil, because a lot of the world, that's their business, getting sludge out of the ground. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. If you haven't read your mortgage, now may be the time to do it. I always try to find some sort of silver lining, but with the volatility and the nervousness, um, now may be the time to do it. You can definitely consider refinancing your mortgage. Let's talk a little bit more about real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He typically comes on, talks real estate, talks mortgage lending with me. I saw a recent report out that the average wage in America grew 1.7% last year. Now, some cities were better than others. San Francisco up 3.7%. Baltimore up 3%. Seattle up 2.7%. Atlanta up 25 in income. D.C. up 24 St. Louis and Houston also on the list. What's interesting to note about that is 
real estate skyrocketed in San Francisco in the last year. Yes. And part of this is, you know, the medical and science jobs in San Francisco are paying a little bit more, but also like Twitter and the IPO um, made a lot of little millionaires. And millionaires don't mind paying 10% over asking price as long as they get location, location, location. So the incomes, in my opinion, is what drives real estate. So across the United States, real estate incomes in the United States have been pretty stagnant for 10 years. And yet we've had a bubble rise, pop, and rise yet again. Um, incomes to what you do, Tony, how important is the ability to fund your monthly mortgage versus collateral? Which is more important, your capacity to pay back the mortgage or the collateral? The amount of money you put down. The capacity. Okay. You have to be able – you could have – I mean, we have FHA, for example, that you, know, you could put as little as 3.5% down. You have down payment assistance programs that are offered by – your local counties and cities uh, with uh, 100% financing. So, but you still have to pay it back. Um, there's a lot of what they call streamlined products, even with FHA and, and Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. You still have to qualify. Even under HARP, you still have to qualify. So it's the capacity, but you also have to have a good credit score. So in the past, it was just your credit score. Now it's your capacity and your credit score. It's interesting to note that... I refer to it as the three C's of credit, but there's you know, more that to it than just that. But there's your credit score, i.e. the first C. That's important. There's the capacity, your ability to pay back, i.e. what's your income. And then there's the collateral, how much money do you put down. I recommend people put down some money. I'd rather you have skin in the game. Then you're going to be thinking more importantly about what you're buying. When you're putting 3% down or 0% down, you're like, Psh, I'll buy in stock and hope it goes up. It's all leverage. But if you're putting 20% down on the peninsula, it ain't all leverage. And you're thinking, which do I think is going to be better over the long term, peninsula or Stockton? At this point in time, Stockton. Peninsula. Probably Stockton now. Well, yes. Yeah, you're looking at, at you know, you know, a lot of cities in the peninsula are over their peaks in 2007. Right. We were just looking at that today. So, um, yeah, you, just the theory of, of buy where the opportunities are, buy where nobody else is buying. Um, can, can also help you as an investor. But, you know, most people today, we have a lot of investors that have pulled out. Right. So most people that are buying today are not the speculators. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such low amount of inventory is changing hands right now. In the mortgage process and the refinance process, you taught me something kind of important, it, or you shine a little more light on it. The importance of, if you have an old credit card, use that one versus the new credit card because it's more, it's an aged account. And that goes into your credit score of how long have you had the accounts open? How long have you been able to use this without blowing up? For the purposes of radio, I answered your question in a very short form. But it, there are many, many factors that go into oh, the approval process. Not only the, the – the, you can have – for example, if you purchase a house, you have a, 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 an appraisal contingency. And most people think that's your value. It's not. It's the actual – you know, the, the, the condition of that report. It's the quality of it. Um, your credit score. You have to. You have a great credit score, but if you don't have enough trade lines, which are those credit cards and those old credit cards that have tenure, um, you can't get a loan. I, there was one guy who had real estate transactions in the past, mortgages. He's paid off his loan. He paid off all his credit cards. They're all gone, and he had a great credit score, but he had no trade line. He, he can't buy a house, yeah. and he had great income. So it's a combination of every factor and the scenario itself. Are you doing cash out? Are you buying investment property? Is it a second home? Is it a condo? Is the condo in litigation? Uh, then you have to change transactions Is it at a higher rate. Do you qualify with the debt ratio? So it's, it's everything that goes together. Even things like 
if you want to show that you've got cash and your parents give you $10,000, you want to season that money. You want it in that bank account for three, four, five, six months and not 30 days because it's all going to be seen. You, you think you're going to hide something from a mortgage I can't, lender? I can't. You can actually get gifts from, from family, and, and then FHA opens it up a little bit more. But um, that's true. If you, you have to be able to document your uh, your down payment. But the, the rules in general are just getting tougher, Rob. Sounds good. It's Tony Mendez. He's my mortgage lender. You can find him online at com. That's com. The new Avatar film was going to be released in 2016. Now it looks like 2017. James Cameron is having a trouble writing three movies all at once. He wants to come out with Avatar 2, Avatar 3, Avatar 4. Now, it's been a while since I've seen Avatar. It's been a while since I've experienced it. I remember when it first came out, it was a must-see movie in the theater. That's what everyone said. I thought it was Dances with Wolves, but with aliens. It really wasn't a movie that impressed me that much. It was technically a marvel. Um, one of the big problems to me is that you know Hollywood has a tough time coming up with new stories because there's technically only 27 stories out there. Um, mathematically, that is. A plus B equals C kind of thing. Um, what's interesting to note about James Cameron in, in this movie and I know you're saying, is this really interesting, or are you just stretching? I might be stretching. There's a publicly traded company called IMAX, and IMAX did really, really well during the time that Avatar was being released, because he wanted to see it. He wanted to see it big. Now there's a bit of a problem. There's always been a bit of a problem. If you take a look at CES and TV makers, they're kind of competing with IMAX trying to get a really, really cinematic feel in your home. Um, there's new prototypes out there, quantum dot technology for manufacturers in South Korea, China, and Japan. Um, you know, that overshadows the organic light emitting diode technology that had been trumpeting for years. Raising the question is, will LED ever take off? Probably not, because new technology already trumped an old technology or previously new technology, which is now an old technology. Um, so the TV's getting better and better and better and better. Um, existing LCD screens can come with a color gamut of 75%, meaning that out of 100 different colors available in real life, they would only be able to replicate 75 of them. Quantum dot is considerably higher. Um, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. got a big event coming up tomorrow night in Palo Alto, a wealth preservation retirement planning seminar from 6.30 to 9. It's a good event. I promise it won't feel like a seminar. It will feel very friendly and open to information. You can sign up at robblack.com.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Listen to this. This is a statistic that's going to blow you away. This is one of the most shocking, appalling, fear-inducing stats I've ever heard. Donny Osmond is releasing his 60th album. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, right? A lot of times I'll be in a restaurant <clears throat> or some public place and you'll hear music and you're like, why did someone bother to record this piece of crap? Like, this is awful. Like, literally, I would rather have like a singing turd than to hear this. It's offensive to my ears that how bad of a quality of He's come out with 60 albums in his lifetime, and he's not like 400 years old. He was the puppy love singer. He won Dancing with the Stars in 2009. There's only two other artists in the world. Well, not in the world, but two other artists that I think of that have come out with more records. And both of them kind of overrated and suck. Elvis and Frank Zappa. Okay, that's right. I just took a shot at a legend, Frank Zappa. <clears throat> Donnie Osmond still looks pretty good. Uh, so maybe there's something to this, you know, uh, magical elixirs that he's been concocting. Um, but he's had to reinvent himself. Um, throwing it out there. So, I don't know. Do you ever want to rest on your laurels or, you know, reinvent yourself? He says his new album, listen to this drivel, is being billed as a summary of his life with each track telling a story. Oh, and he's got a new free app. <laughs> I'm sure that's rocketed right up to the top of uh, Apple's iTunes stores. Okay. <clears throat> When I got into the industry a long time ago, let's say 20 years roughly, one of the things that I did was I would listen to uh, download.com. I would listen to um, digital music. <clears throat> one of the groups that I got into... Um, was Wu-Tang Clan. Because not everyone put up their... Not everyone put up their music for free online. Some people did. Um, so there's a company called Broadcast.com that I would be in the office from 4 in the morning until about 11 at night. And when I started as an investment advisor... You know, I worked in New York, and I basically wanted to start my own business. And my goal was to, you know, pull off a cost-effective, like, don't lose all the money in the world kind of thing. And there was a company called Broadcast.com, and, you know, I had high-speed internet at the office, so I'd, I'd listen to albums all night. And one of the ones that I'd listen to was Wu-Tang Clan, um, which is kind of crazy in of itself. Um, some of the Wu-Tang Clan are still around. So... There is a lot of people, 
um, Neil Crosby. Crosby's still stashed young. Uh, a lot of people are trying to sell music now, and artists are frustrated with the way the music industry has changed. Music has shifted from an ownership model, people buying albums to an access one, people paying for access to songs through the cloud. So there's a Boombox Bluetooth speaker. If you wanted to hear a limited edition of Wu-Tang's 20th anniversary album, A Better Tomorrow, you had to buy the Wu edition Boombox Rex. It quickly sold out of its limited edition run at 3000 80 bucks a pop. It can play music from any Bluetooth device and is designed to be much more powerful for its size than a comparable speaker. Can we go back from low-quality speakers streaming music to potentially high-quality speakers where you own the music? So one of the people from Wu-Tang Clan is trying to reinvent this business model. And I personally think what it's going to take is people like Taylor Swift saying, you know, no to Pandora and no to Spotify. Or no, you can't have my music until it's three years old. Um, so digital music is one of the industries that I think is going to go through a, a pretty compelling 2015. I think it's one of the bigger stories. Um, you're going to keep hearing about things like Spotify killers. I would imagine companies like Pandora struggle as artists say, you know, I can sell a lot of albums and get more money than if you play a, a ton of my songs at a fraction of the, the, the payout. Um, again, obviously music's moving more towards the concert model as well. But it's just something you have to think about, the ownership model versus the access model and competition that goes with it and what it means for all of us. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. There's a food maker that's based in L.A. called Soylent. I love the idea. They're trying to get a food that has every vitamin, nutrient, and substance the body needs. And it's getting a lot of funding. I love Taylor. Gosh. Oh. I'm a schoolgirl over her. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Big event coming up tomorrow night in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up for the Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event at robblack.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. 
Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Shares of Tesla getting hit pretty hard today. CEO Elon Musk told a group of journalists at the Detroit Auto Show that Tesla sales in China were disappointing. And the company wouldn't achieve profitability until 2020. Stock dipped as low as 188 bucks a share on that news. Elon Musk is no stranger to bad news. Like, he kind of embraces it. Um, I think that's worthy of note that some share, some CEOs kind of like him and Haw. Not so much Elon Musk. If he's got bad news, he'll tell you. So, Tesla is trading down 12 bucks to $191 a share. All-time high of $291. Uh, market cap of about $23 billion. I don't think you own Tesla for one reason, like for 20 to 30 years. And it's already had an amazing run, so I'd be cautious on it. I own no shares of Tesla. I like talking about Tesla. I think Elon Musk is a great machine of quotes. Um, price to sales are still pretty high. In the end, they sell a car. Price to earnings, not really existent. So they don't plan on making money for a while. And they could probably pull that number up a little bit closer than expected. And they got some exciting product coming. There's no doubt about it. You know, the stock swooned last year for the Model S. Analysts and observers are closely following Tesla's ability to deliver on its sales targets with the stock up over 1,000% from its 2010 IPO. So a lot of growth is priced into it. Uh, Tesla has two more models slated for 2015 and 2017, the Model X SUV first. Um, so they've started taking deposits on the Model X. Very important mass market Model 3 is expected for 2017. Interesting that GM's coming out with a low-cost electric vehicle in the same year. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. We know that estate plan laws change on a regular basis. High income got hit a little bit in the 2012-2013 changes, how will that affect what the high income gives to charity? CFP Chad Burton, New Focus Financial, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, I think all in all in terms of charity, any kind of a tax increase tends to hurt charitable contributions. Right. Um, it just takes more out of people's pocket when a tax increase goes up, so charities don't like to see that type of a tax increase. Um we did get an extension of one thing that's actually a, a pretty good deal for people that have higher net worth, worth. And you have, let's say you're a person, you've got plenty of assets to live, and you give on a regular basis. And you hit 70 and a half, and you're forced to pull money out of your IRAs, and you don't really need it to live. You're going to leave it to your favorite charity or your kids. Well, one of the things you can do through 2013 is you can take your minimum required distribution up to $100,000 and give it directly to charity and avoid paying taxes on it. In the past, there used to be complicated amounts in terms of how much you could write off, but they, the IRS through 2013 allows you to deduct that. You, uh, you know, get as taxable income, but turn around and deduct 100% of it right away as long as it goes directly to charity. So that's one good thing. But some of the high income earners, so really who got hit with the tax increases, you know, January 1st, 2013, is people that mostly make over 450,000 filing jointly or 400,000 single. People that make over 250, they have a, a slight increase in their um, uh, dividends and capital gains uh, taxes. Yep. 
Um, but they're still at the 15% bracket. There's a 3.8% increase, but really who can benefit? Wealthy people that make over 450, it really, I think, will cause the use again of what's called charitable remainder trusts, which are some of, it's one of my favorite planning techniques because everybody wins except for the IRS. So that'll change. No, I I don't think it will. I think this will be around for a long time just because it, 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 benefits charity so much, and it doesn't really take a, a, a lot out of the government's pocket. So let's say you're 60 years old, and you've got a bunch of low basis stock, and you want to sell 500000 of this stock, essentially as a zero-cost basis. Maybe you were an early investor. Maybe it was ESPPs or options that you got from where you used to work, and it's rallied a lot. So you've got 500000 You really want to sell it and you know start income producing from that asset. But in California, if you're a high-income earner, and you've got $500,000 of capital gains, you're going to pay about $169,000 in taxes, right, if it's a gain of that much. So what you could do instead is you could pick your favorite charity that you want to have benefit after you die, and you can create a charitable remainder trust. So once you create the trust, you have an attorney drafted up, you create it, it's irrevocable, um, and then you open a brokerage account in the name of that trust, and you transfer the shares in kind into that trust, and you're going to get a large tax deduction depending on your age and how much you say you're going to pull out each year. So that could be around 110000 bucks, for example, depending on how you set it up. And you can use that deduction up over five years. So really what that could do is that gift of 500000 into a charitable remainder trust could create about a $49,000 tax benefit. We can reduce your tax liability over five years by about 49000 And once that stock, Rob, is in the trust, you can turn around and sell it and re-diversify your portfolio without any current capital gains taxes because the trust is shielded from that original sale of that assets. And then you can take income for life. And let's say that's 6% or 30 grand a year. Um, so you're able to sell it without a big capital gains hit. You get a large tax deduction and income for life. Um, and then your charity wins after you pass away. The only thing you have to do is make sure that you want to benefit your kids. So there's a, another step that you have to take. Um, and this is one area where life insurance comes into play in planning, and um, it, it's called an irrevocable life insurance trust. So what you've just done is you win because you get income for life, and you get a large tax deduction. Right. Your charity wins because they're going to get what's left over in that trust when you pass away. So what you have to do to replace that for your heirs is you set up another trust called an irrevocable life insurance trust, and you take some of that $30,000 a year of income that you have, and buy a $500,000 life insurance policy that's held in the trust, and then the kids get that completely tax-free. So the only person that's, the only entity that's out of the picture is Uncle Sam. They don't get, you know, they don't get the estate tax when you die. They don't get that initial huge capital gains tax, and you get a tax deduction, which essentially helps pay for the life insurance. So it's a great estate planning tool if you are wanting to benefit a charity, you're a high-income earner, and, um, and you need to Get rid of some low basis stock, for example. I like it. It's an evolution. As tax laws change, you have to evolve with the times, see what's available. That was CFP Chad Burton talking a little bit about higher income plays with estate planning and helping charities so that they get theirs and everyone's pleased with the outcome. It's Rob Black and your money on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Big event coming up Thursday evening, tomorrow evening. In Palo Alto, it's a Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event. You can sign up for 6.30 to 9 at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. Um, Lower fuel costs continue to benefit airlines and other industrials. A rapid drop in price of oil to below $50 a barrel had a lot of implications outside of the energy sector. 
and analysts think that these are mostly positive for the industrial sector. A lot of analysts think the lower energy prices are sustainable and the U.S. economy will benefit from lower input prices, more money in consumer pockets, and likely lower transportation costs. A large beneficiary is likely to be the airline industry, which consumes about 19 to 20 billion gallons of jet fuel a year at a third of the industrials of the cost. Jet fuel is the largest expense for most airlines, with each penny drop in the price of jet fuel saving the industry about 190 to 200 million dollars. Wow. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Nearly 8 out of 10 U.S. tax filers get tax refunds, which means 8 out of 10 tax filers are giving the government money for free throughout the year. A very low-cost, no-cost loan. You should try to get zero back on your taxes. That's the goal. So adjust your withholdings accordingly. Now, what's interesting to note about this is the average refund is about 2800 bucks. Who gets refunds varies by income group. 84% of those making less than 50000 received a refund in 2012. Only 34% of those making over 200000 did. Average, but their average refund is a whopping 12600 according to data that's out there. Um, again, if you're getting that much money back, you're doing something wrong. Uh, any financial planner will tell you that it's an interest-free loan to the government. For low-income filers, a big part of their refund is due to the earned income tax credit for which they can claim as long as they hold a job. The earned income tax credit is an anti-poverty program designed to encourage and reward work. For those higher up in the income scale, the actions they take during the year can make them eligible for tax breaks and set them up for a refund, whether you buy a house move to a high-tax state or city, bump up your charitable contributions, or make their home more energy efficient. So what do people do with all that money? I've always found that interesting. Anytime I get a refund, I instantly invest it. Last year, the two most common things people did were pay bills and make big-ticket purchases, such as buying a car or paying for a vacation. Um, Both of them are incredibly inane. Horrible things to do, but I can't convince you of that, so I should just shut up and quit trying. People have to have their new cars, and I get it. Trust me. I'll probably be the guy who dies at age 85, 90, and never got to my Tesla. Speaking of Tesla, you can get shares of Tesla today a little bit cheaper than you could yesterday. It's Tesla stock price. Uh, a little bit of a plunge going on there. Um 
it's a company that's really priced for the future and for some perfection in the future. I think he's a smart guy. I don't think the company's worth $24 billion. Uh, it shouldn't be, in my opinion. Stock's trading at $109 a share today. 52-week high or all-time high of 291. So that's got to be some pain for people who bought that high. I used to know someone who had this incredible gift of buying stocks incredibly wrong, i.e. he'd pay an all-time high price for it. So if the 52-week high was 291.42, he was the one who paid that. Um, ouch, right? Retail sales drop a disappointing uh, nine-tenths of 1% in December. Retail sales fell sharply in December on warning, uh, basically, essentially waning holiday sales and falling gasoline prices. Consumer purchases declined. Economists expected a little bit of an increase, excluding volatile auto purchases. Sales dropped 1%. So-called core sales. Core sales is excluding autos and gasoline. Fell three-tenths of a percent. You know, November's seven-tenths of a jump in retail sales was revised down to a four-tenths of a percent. So this report brings up questions about the strength of the consumer spending, which has shown signs of accelerating recently. And with lower gasoline prices, it, it will accelerate. Uh, but gasoline station sales plunged 6.5% on the sharp, sharp drop in gas prices. Tepid wage growth continues to constrain consumer spending late last year. But again, there's going to be that windfall of cash from the lower gasoline prices. Um, overall, the retail industry would call the holiday shopping season a success, with retailers offering more discounts across the entire shopping period instead of just on key days like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Shoppers had more chances to spend. The National Retail Federation, also known as NARF, said holiday sales increased 4% over November and December, making it for the best holiday sales season since 2011. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. A couple other stories that I'm working on today. I think I already told you that James Cameron's delaying the next... Uh, Big Avatar film to 2017 from 2016. I know a lot of people don't care. I'm just throwing it out there. It's, there's an investment in IMAX and other issues along those lines. The new issue of the Charlie Hebdo is selling for insane prices on eBay. Um, just like you know, the capitalist pigs that the world has to take advantage and jack up the price on something that was lovingly meant as a tribute to the people that died. Tesla stock down 6% yesterday after Elon Musk said sales are down in China. He says Chinese customers don't trust the country's charging network. Average households going to save about $750 this year on lower gas prices. With crude prices dropping fast, data from the Energy Information Administration show that weekly retail prices for regular gas averaged 214 as of January 12th. Some areas of the country are breaking below $2. Um... 2015 estimates for gasoline prices about $2.33 a gallon, which is a buck lower than 2014. And it shows you that commodities have this kind of self-correcting inflation thing that goes on. When they get too expensive, we cut back on our, our driving. When they get too cheap, we increase it. So other stories of note out there today, mortgage applications jumped by the most in six years. If you haven't refinanced now, now is the time. Mortgage rates have continued to decline for the week ending uh, yesterday. 
the average rate for a conforming 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 377, down from 3.83% a week ago. Rates for conforming 5.1 adjustable are at 3.04, down from 3.17. Pretty impressive. Um, 10-year treasuries have fallen below 2%. They're pretty far below, all things being the same. Um, let's take a quick look at where they are today. 10-year treasury is one of the pegs that we get off mortgage rates. 10-year treasury sits at 1.83, a pretty alarmingly low number. And if I didn't do this every single day, I would come to work and tell you um, there's things that you can tell a lot of information from just a small from just a, a glimpse at a number. Um, back in June 2012, the 10-year Treasury hit you know um, 165. I believe it got a little bit lower. I think 144 was the lowest, but it didn't close there. Um, so we're now starting to get back to those levels, which is, represents a lot of fear. Uh, worldwide deflation. Commodities are showing deflationary price pressures. I'm Ron Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can sign up for my event tomorrow night in at Stanford, not at Stanford proper, but uh, Wealth Management and Retirement Planning at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto, Palo Alto Elks Lodge, Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen from Briefing.com, Chief Market Economist, or Chief Economist. Getting your titles confused a little bit there. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty well. So yesterday, the market was rocking and rolling, was doing its little thing, and then the I think the JOLTS report came out, or some economic data came out that really shocked the system, so to speak. What did you see economically yesterday? Uh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> oh, no? The uh, economic data yesterday, I mean, the JOLTS report that came out basically told us what we were expecting. Uh, we've been moving up the so-called beverage curve, which tells about how tight the labor market is. We saw an increase in job openings that followed an increase in, uh, or sorry, a decrease in unemployment, meaning that uh, companies are generally having a harder time finding uh, workers to fill these jobs. Generally, that leads to an increase in wages. Now, remember, this is a November report, so if you look back to the November employment data, uh, we did have an increase in wages. So those two went hand in hand, kind of as expected. Uh, the December numbers on, uh, were the opposite. We, we, we saw 
a decline in, in the aggregate wage, or sorry, a decline in the average wage, and aggregate income was flat. So I would expect to see, you know, possibly job openings coming down a little bit next month uh, just to have those two move again hand in hand. How about today's retail sales numbers? It looks like December was slower than expected. Shock or no shock? I mean, it's a shock if you look back at what we thought two weeks ago. You know, two weeks ago, before we got the December employment report, everything looked good. And you had reports coming out of the retail sector that uh, sales were strong. Um, You had initial claims levels at uh, full employment type levels, below 300,000. We had a job report for November that was impeccably strong. We had aggregate wage growth in November that was really strong. And then we get December's numbers, and that November's wage levels were uh, downwardly revised. Aggregate income was nowhere near as strong as we expected, and, and income in general in December was flat to down. So given the fact that retail sales, that consumption, has to be has to come from income growth and if you have no income growth you can't have consumption growth so knowing what we knew last week from the employment report the odds are were that we were going to have a negative retail sales number you know i think it came in much weaker than we expected but the fact that it was negative shouldn't have been too big of a shock the question now is is this a blip you know we saw good payroll gains so we know that there's people finding work. They're just not finding work with better pay. And in the end, you need better pay along with the income gains in order to have consumption growth. So you know, it, it leaves people kind of in a, in a quandary. You know, are we seeing something uh, in the data that makes us change our minds that you know, growth in 2014, at the end of 2014, wasn't as strong as people thought, and you know, does that mean that 2015 get growth is not going to exceed, uh, you know, the 3.3 percent, the 3.3 percent that is considered uh, potential growth, and that's, you know, it's a little bit uncertain. I saw that Minneapolis Fed President. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name. Nara Yada, <laughs> Coach Lakota. Coach Lakota. <laughs> Thank you. Um, was talking about having 4% unemployment in his district and not seeing any wage inflation. What's going to fix this or what's going to change this? Like, why no wage inflation? And do we have to have it in order to have a good economy? I mean, you have to have wage growth in order to have retail spending growth. I mean, you you can't... There's no no way of spending unless you take on debt um, and we know that credit constraints make that more difficult today to grow, you know, to increase output without wage gains. And what that tells me is that the unemployment rate really isn't a good indicator of how the employment sector really is. What it's telling me is that even though it seems like we don't have a lot of available workers to fill positions, we actually do. We, you know, we have more. Maybe they're discouraged. They're not showing up. Um, maybe some people, you know, quote retired because they didn't think they'd get an, uh, another high-paying job, so they figured they're better off just 
just not working, but if the opportunity came, they may return to the labor force. But we need to see tighter labor market conditions where employers are fighting over uh, available workers, you know, giving higher pay to either keep the workers they already have on staff or trying to attract, you know, the talent. And so far, businesses still have the upper hand, you know, profit-wise, earnings were a little bit disappointing over the last day, but I mean, profit-wise in 2014 has been very strong. So we know that firms have the the money, you know, they have the ability to increase wages. There's just no uh, requirement to do so. And if they're going to hold on to these, you know, to this increase in profits, these, this capital, and they're not going to invest it, they're not going to expand their businesses because they don't see the necessary need to increase output and you don't see the wage gains, you know, you're going to live in a stagnant economy. Are you taking a look at the commodities complex and the deflation that we're seeing in both copper and oil? Do you have any work on that, on what that means? Is it net neutral? Is it positive? Is it, what's your feel on what we're seeing weakness in commodities? In the commodity price, it's, it's positive because what it does is it gives you know, higher profit margins to um, more of the U.S. manufacturing and, and especially U.S. consumer. Uh, so in terms of deflationary pressures, that, that, that's a good one. What you don't want to see, though, is you know, the fact that companies are being able to make more money, but they're not willing to pass that on. You know, we're not seeing you know, the, 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 the nice gains you know, of, of these profits going back to the consumer. So you're left with, again, you know, consumers have a little bit more money to spend on goods other than oil, um, and that's good. The reasons why the price declines is a net negative. I mean, you're seeing copper decline a lot because there's a slowdown in the global economy. You know, China is not growing as strong as we expected them to be. Uh, you know, Europe is definitely growing less than what we thought it was going to be. Japan's growing weaker than we thought it was going to be. Really, the only country that we're seeing, uh, you know, an uptick in expectations was the U.S., uh, and given the you know the December retail sales report, maybe that was a little bit too optimistic. But um, you know we just kind of hope that you know some of the money flows back into the uh, into the workers' paycheck. You know, get things moving on that respect. Is there anything you're working on, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com? Anything that's kind of uh, an insight for us before it gets published? I'm looking, as I said last week, still a lot about the auto sector, trying to get a gauge on what it's going to be in 2015. Um, Right now we're looking at uh, how oil is going to be impacting the economy in 2015. Uh, Wondering if oil stays at these $50 range or even lower. Uh, And you heard from the Saudis the other day saying that, you know, they don't believe that oil is ever going to hit 100 again, which is kind of laughable, but, um, you know, given the fact of where we were just six months ago. But, uh, you know, what is that doing to uh, U.S. oil production? And $50 is a pretty magical number for U.S. production. If you, if you look at statistically since 2007, 
when oil hits $50, you have a, a massive reduction in, uh, in oil rigs in use. And a lot of that is because at that point, there's a definite statistical shift on what's profitable and what's not, what's economically feasible and what's not. So I expect to see uh, now that oil is kind of holding below this $50 and we're getting more information out of uh, the Middle East that they're going to keep hammering the price by keeping supply high, um, we could see a major drop in production in the next three to six months, uh, which is going to have a negative impact on employment, especially in Texas, especially in, in North Dakota, and a lot of the uh, auxiliary um, jobs that you know, flow from the oil companies, you know, services to, uh, you know, from haircuts and, and groceries to, you know, everything else, basically. So you're, you're going to have a pretty big hit, I believe, to, um, to the U.S. economy in, in a lot of these, you know, areas that have been showing strong growth over the last few years. One of the headlines that I read today was the U.S. should brace for a recession. Any thoughts on kind of a, a, a shocking headline? Well, if you look at where the tenure is, <laughs> it's not so shocking. Okay. I mean, we, it's not totally possible fair. to get a uh, – sorry? It's not possible to get a you know the negative um, – yields as you had before, sorry, the negative spreads that would normally say that you're going to have a recession. But when you have a 10-year at 1.8% and you have growth projections right now of 2015 at 3% or 3.2%, you know, somewhere in that okay. range. And Thanks very much. That's Dr. Jeff Rosen, Briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. Can't you feel the cold wind is howling down financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Money, investing, and like I said, so much more. Let me jump in and go see real quick if we've got any emails today. I haven't even honestly been looking, which makes me feel a little bit bad. Um, because I tell you, you can call in and then I don't check, or let's see if there's anything dramatic. I get some crazy emails, for the record. Um, a little bit on the shocking side of how people wait as long as they do before deciding that they're in financial trouble or they're in over their head. Um, Scott sent an email that said, sorry for the multiple emails. Wow sent me four emails all at once. Um, my future wife just received a lump sum $1.5 Congratulations. She's 45 and would like to invest well so she can retire early. 
I highly recommend sitting down with a CFP. Um, that's a life-changing amount of money. I think you want to have a plan for a good economy, bad economy. His follow-up question was, uh, I'm looking at four different Vanguard funds, healthcare, REIT, dividend, and tech. Any input? I would look at a 20-year chart of some of those funds, because maybe even a 10-year chart, because that's what your wife is 45, so you'll start to think about retirement money in about 10, 15 years. Um, see if you're comfortable with the returns over a period of time. I think you will be very pleased. Um, the healthcare fund has had an amazing run. It's expected to underperform this year um, based on some of the cost initiatives kicking in with Obamacare. I don't want to comment on the other funds because I haven't looked at them recently, but I'd be very cautious, Scott. That's a lot of money, and I, you have to know that you're good at you know, good markets and bad markets. You have to know that you're comfortable with the way things bounce around. And if not, I wouldn't do it. Uh, the overall trend, I think, on Wall Street is still, you know, very ultimately positive. But again, I think you want to be intelligent about how you handle this. And um, hopefully you have some experience in investing. This isn't your first rodeo, so to speak. Um, S&P 500 is down 21. The Dow is down 245. NASDAQ down 35. Um, people are starting to refer to it as a disaster scenario coming into focus. So people may want to panic now, or maybe people do panic. Slumping commodity prices, a disappointing U.S. retail sales number, and the World Bank cutting the 2015 global forecast from 3.5% down to 3%. You know, returns of flight from risk assets. Um, the Dow is down nearly 1%, while commodity prices hit a 12-year low as copper suffered its biggest drop in six years. On the flip side, treasury yields fell to record levels, and gold prices rose as traders searched for safe havens. It's a pretty big, terrible mess out there with commodity prices, which is an indication of global economy's weakness. That terrible miss makes it much more challenging to make a bullish case for stocks. So I would love a 10% correction. I would thrill for a 20% pullback. But in the end, there's also the Federal Reserve is going to see this, and you don't want to fight the Fed. So you're definitely not going to make a lot of money putting it into safe areas. Um, the GOP-controlled Congress and the federal budget deficit hitting a seven-year low. A lot of people aren't convinced if central bankers are powerless to ultimately affect change. 800-516-1220 to get your call in the air. It's 800-516-1220. I started putting together a list of stocks that I would like to buy. I've got some cash. Um, you know, I always want to buy Disney. I always want to buy uh, Nike. But, like, for instance, I put Netflix down yesterday. Uh, so some of the high-quality names, if they get hit, I'm excited. Um, Google, in a market that was down, had a little bit of an up action to it. So it looks like it's showing support. Uh, the valuation's not crazy on Google. The valuation on Tesla's crazy. So... Google's trading at 17 times next year's earnings. That's not bad. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Big story of the day is the retail sales drop, a disappointing nine-tenths of 1% in December. Um, World Bank lowers its 2015 GDP target to 3% from 3.4%. Copper futures continue to plummet. 
Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase reported below consensus results. That's kind of interesting. Let me pull up that. Um, where's the calendars? <clears throat> Just when I go to look for it, I can't find it. <laughs> I started to look up. Oh, there they are. Duh. I hate it when it's right in front of your face. So J.P. Morgan Chase missed, um, and Wells Fargo came in line with expectations. So tomorrow, <clears throat> we get a little bit deeper into earnings season with Bank of America and Citigroup coming out with numbers in the morning. Uh, NAR, obviously a big player in housing. They'll give us some insight. Tomorrow night, we get Intel reporting earnings. So that's the big one. Um, you know, earnings season, I think, should change the, the tone on Wall Street. You know, do we go with lower valuations or do we say, hey, the revenue's there? You're looking for revenue growth. Very, very important. Next week, obviously, a big week in earnings. So we'll uh, put in the midnight oil next week for sure. You can find out more about what I do at an event Thursday night, tomorrow night. I'm going to be in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Um, the reason you would want to sign up for that event, it's Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning. And it looks like we're in for a change in earnings season. It looks like we're in a change for volatility. So I hope you're prepared for it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to note it. Have a good day. Take care. Sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.